The Victory Formation Podcast is brought to you by Pilgrim Roasters. Pilgrim Roasters is a roastery and coffee shop located at 4120 Main Street in Maniunk, Philadelphia. Pilgrim Roasters specializes in unique coffees from all over the world, brought specially to you in-store and online at www.pilgrimroasters.com. Take 10% off your first order with Pilgrim Roasters when typing in promo code GOODSOUP10 at checkout and figure out what all the buzz is about. You know something? No soup for you! Come back one year! Yeah, we both have so much in common. We both love soup. Soup's not a meal! You're supposed to buy me a meal! I'm not stopping you from eating. Go ahead and eat. Get anything you want. That's a lot of soup. That's a lot of soup. It looks delicious. Soup. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Victory Formation podcast. I'm usually the co-host. Got Finny Baby the Prince, soon to be the king, steering the ship today. Got James, top two when he's not two, the NBA analyst for the podcast as the co-host today. How you doing, James? Doing great. What's going on? Happy to be here. We got a you know, special time of sports right here. You know, fall and the spring are two best times of the year for sports. We got a lot going on, obviously. So ready to break down everything that's going on. Hell yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh you have a good weekend? Oh yeah. You know, you know, baseball started up, you know, watch some watch a good UFC card. Uh, you know. I am a Lakers fan, so I'm dealing with a little bit of a emotional turmoil at the moment, but you know, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, it's it's tough for the Lakers, but like what what do you think? Like coming into the season, we you definitely had high hopes, but you know, older roster, Russ, it was tough. It was a tough for tough for the Lakers this year. Yeah, I mean I definitely had I mean Obviously, any team with LeBron on it, you're going to have high expectations. And then, of course, obviously, if Anthony Davis is on the team, you know, I mean, they won a championship two years ago. So we know what they can do. And they were, you know, derailed by injuries, you know, the previous season, that Sun series when AD went down. But then coming into this year, I just obviously, you know, I like there's parts of this team I, I did like, but I did not like the Russell Westbrook move at all, giving up Montrez, Kuz and KCP all for a guy who's, you know, looks detrimental to your team right now that, you know, you remember, we talked about it when it happened. I just did not like that move at all. Yep. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised that that fit didn't go great, but when you looked at the pieces they had the last couple of years, they didn't have a great an amazing supporting cast around them. They, they just had role players who just did enough for LeBron and 80 to carry the team. So I was, you know, I, I didn't think that Russ being bad would or just like the chemistry not fitting would be enough to stop this team. And obviously, we never really got to see whether or not that would be the truth, because, you know, obviously, AD missed tons of games and then LeBron missed a little bit, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, ideally, as a Lakers fan, I would be very happy if they do move on from Russ this offseason, which if I had to guess, I would. I would say that they do they They just moved on from Frank, from Frank Vogel, which, you know, he, as with most coaches, he has his pros and cons, you know, he, he usually does a good job of getting the defense pretty looking pretty good, but you know, as time went on, he just, 
started to make mistake after mistake. It looked like with the rotations and, you know, I mean, there's just certain guys who they, they would, they would sign a guy off, off free agency, like a guy sitting on his couch and he would come in and start games, like rather than working his way up. And then guys who were playing well would not see that much time, would not see that much time. And then after a while, it got to a point where I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with him leaving. I don't know if they're going to find an amazing replacement. We will see about that, but you know, coaching a LeBron James and Anthony Davis team isn't the worst job in the world. So hopefully somebody good comes in. Totally. Totally. Well, we'll hit on the NBA playoffs um, in the third block of the show, but off the top, I'll just, I'll close the loop on the masters. I know we talked about all the hype on, on Thursday, Friday's podcast of last week. So just to round it out, Scotty Scheffler finished in first at minus 10. Um, he wasn't leading on the first day, but he was clearly the most dominant golfer out there on the course. Um, world number one coming in. I think this is now his fourth win in seven events or something like that. It, it, he's been dominating this year, so um, shouldn't have really been a surprise to anyone. I, he wasn't the betting favorite. I think John Rahm was the betting favorite, but you know, Scotty Scheffler finished at minus 10. Roy McElroy had a 64 final round, tied for the lowest final round in Masters history. He chipped in from the bunker on 18 to put his total to minus seven for the tournament. Um, even with that, I watched the post-game uh, or the, the post-match press conference from him. He said he was just trying to make Scotty think about it. He was just trying to get within striking distance where, you know, Scotty Scheffler had a he, – he thought he was on hole 12 at that point, so he still had a few tough holes to get through, but Scotty wasn't – wasn't losing that tournament um he did really good so that's first and second for you tiger to close the loop here man after the first day he he, he did not do great i know i said on last podcast that he, the leg the mobility it, it definitely hampered on him especially with the weather it was really windy cold going into the weekend um he ended up on saturday and sunday shooting a 78 that's four over par finished the tournament at plus 13, which was 47th place. Um, he did tease in the post-game pr uh, press conference. Um, he did tease that he will be at the Open, which is at St. Andrews this year. That's the British Open um, for anyone that doesn't really follow golf that close. But um, he, he did say that he's looking forward to that. Uh, something funny that I found in terms of the purses, like how much they bring home, so Scotty Scheffler, I think this is right, earned $2.7 million getting first at the Masters. That's a hell of an earnings for four days of work. Rory McIlroy came in at $1.62 million. And then Tiger, all the way at 47th, brought home $43,000. That's just crazy, the disparity from top to bottom. But, I mean, I guess at least he brought home something. Um I know I know you don't really watch golf, James, but any input there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, forty three thousand. I mean, if you're on the UFC, that's like third. That's like the third biggest fight on the card, or something. So, you know. yeah, to to bring home, yeah, isn't that that's so wild, man? Like that's yeah. something we've, we've talked about too. We'll get into UFC in a few segments, but Tiger Woods finishing forty seventh out of that entire field got the same amount that 
a pretty good fight would get in the UFC. Yeah, it. I mean, it, it's sad. Like, I mean, the sport is growing, and hopefully, this isn't going to be a problem forever. But, I mean, you just think about how big the sport is now, and you know, there's so many guys that are pretty top level guys who are working a, a real job, and that this is like it's like their side hustle is being a UFC fighter, which is just ridiculous. Like, and then you have guys who, you know, obviously, you know, it's it's you know mixed martial arts, so there's plenty of guys who careers cut short by injuries or other reasons or you know they just it might be preemptive just to avoid future injury or you know other various things so there's good fighters who stop fighting early and then they're they're making 15 dollars an hour working at a gym when they're like 28 years old or something and then that's their life so yeah i, I think tiger will 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 be okay oh yeah i mean i think tiger was outside of him and michael jordan i think it was like the first one of the first athletes to get to like a billion dollar net worth. So Tiger will be good, but you look at like $43,000, 10% goes to his caddy. He probably had an Airbnb or some nice house that he rented to stay down there if he doesn't already own a house. So like after, after all of his expenses, he probably like maybe lost money. But in the UFC, you got to pay your X amount to your coach, all the travel, months of a training camp. $43,000, like some of these guys make less than that. Like, how do you even survive off that money? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I remember, I think it was, um, maybe it, it was probably Adesanya who asked Mike Tyson about what, what he felt about, uh, Nganu making 600 K average for, for his fights. And Tyson was like, nah, that's, that, that's, I'd, I'd spend that money by the end of the training camp. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they only, they only fight maybe twice a year. So you know you just you you have to get endorsements you have to get side money from from some like somehow you know have a podcast like you see sugar Sean's doing that ton of other fighters probably have their own podcast too so you you really have to do that to just be able to survive yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah o'malley said he makes more money outside of ufc than he does in the ufc and you know he's one of the biggest names so you know but still i mean that's I, I don't know how long that can go on before we've already had so many big fighters just hold out or, you know, leave the sport or, you know, say they're retiring. Sometimes they stay retired. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they flip flop back and forth. So it, it, as, as a fan, it hurts, you know, nobody really likes it. So you, yeah, you, you, you definitely like to see some change there. Definitely. Definitely. But that's a good transition into the UFC card that we had on Saturday, UFC, 273 it was on the east coast down in jacksonville florida um looked like a great environment i know i was teasing i was i was thinking about going didn't end up doing it but um let's get started with the the third fight on the card or the i guess like the fight before the main event the 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 co-main events um uh shemaev versus gilbert burns uh kazmat won in a unanimous decision what did you think of that fight? What happened? Like, what did you see as you were watching that fight? So, I mean, just as a fan of the sport, just, I mean, you can't deny that everyone saw. That was an amazing fight. Like, that, that's as good as it gets. There wasn't a single person who wasn't on their feet during that fight. And it, it, was, it was awesome. I, I knew going into it, I had a feeling that Burns was, I mean, even though, you know, he came away with, with a loss, that 
the odds were too far in Hamzat's favor. I mean, obviously the guy looks like a stud, but you know, we we finally did see some chinks to the armor. He looked great in the damage he was able to do, but he did not do a great job of avoiding damage at all. I mean, if anything, it's just kind of astounding that he didn't get knocked out. Like Burns was just teeing off on him. Like they both had each other badly hurt, but I, I think Burns landed some bigger shots. He was throwing he was throwing everything he had into some of those punches to the point he was almost, you know, throwing his throwing himself out of his shoes. He was almost falling over on his punches. But a lot of them did land. And that second round specifically, he had him hurt real bad. I thought he was going to end it at a couple points. And I I could definitely see how you can make the argument that that Hamza won round one and three, so therefore he wins the fight. And I, I do I I do see that logic, but I don't know. I feel like overall, beginning of the fight to the end of the fight, if you tally it all up, all up I know that he did outstrike Hamza by about twenty strikes or so. But yep, if you if you just look at the total damage, like I think Burns did a little more damage, and that's usually what I look to 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 determine who who wins these fights. So if anything, I I would have gave a slight edge to Burns, but. It was close enough. Like I'm not gonna say he was robbed, but um, which which obviously does happen <laughs> quite often in this sport. But what, what did you think about the outcome of that fight? Um, I mean, I picked um, Kamzat I, I, mainly just because I, I throw a bunch of the favorites in in a parlay, so I, I was rooting for him. But it was like you said, and I think even Dana said it in the post fight post fight presser. That that was one of the best fights he's ever seen. Yeah, and, and Burns almost beat Usman, and he was what like a plus four hundred, like it 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 felt it felt odd for sure. Yeah, I'm wondering like from the judges' perspective, and we'll get into the judges in the uh, Peter Yan versus uh, Aljamain Sterling fight, but like like the hype coming in for com like I don't know. If it could have gone either way, it was still a unanimous decision in three rounds. That fight, the fans would have loved to see it five. But, like, does the hype factor into judging? Like, like why is it so... Like, like yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the strike numbers right now. Burns had 20 more total strikes, 11 more significant strikes. Like, Kamzat had the two takedowns to zero for Burns. So, like, do takedowns come into effect then? Like, how does the judging factor into that, if you have any opinion on it? Well, like I said, I think, I think that, um, I think it just came down to the fact that it looked like, uh, Burns lost rounds one and three, but one, two, and he won two pretty big, but I, one of the flaws with the UFC is that you have to absolutely annihilate somebody to get a 10, eight round. So otherwise it's 10, nine. So most people would agree that Burns probably won round two more than, uh, he lost one and or three but since it's so it's nearly impossible to get tenny around those slight wins in round one and three for hamza is going to give him a w even if he's you know taking a crazy beating around two and you know that's something that i'd like to see change a little bit just in terms of the format i, th- I think if they're more willing to give a tenny or and then i mean I mean, we could, we could go on rants forever just talking about, you know, conspiracies of of the judges and, and picking the guy with the more hype to win because 
they think he's going to net a bigger purse. They think he's going to get more pay-per-view buys going forward. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can't rule stuff like that out. But then, I mean, if, if you break it down every single fight, it doesn't always work like that where the guy you think is going to, you know, get the W because he's more popular ends up winning it. I think it's, I mean, it's it's really just bad judging. And there there's, there's many principles that they apply to each round, like, that I don't agree with. Like, you could dominate a guy the whole round, but then if he catches you big at the end of the round, they'll give that guy the, the W for the round because he was winning at the end of the round for whatever reason. I don't, I've never understood that logic. And if people like Joe Rogan try to say that's a valid argument, like, but I, I don't know. I, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make it's, sense it, to it's me. tough. It's tough. But um, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what Shemaev does moving forward. I mean, he was ranked 11. Gilbert was the number two ranked contender. So, I mean, Gilbert shouldn't drop that far, but how high do you see Shemaev going? Like, I, well, I think Dana said they want to see him and Colby next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're, yeah, they're, they're looking at Colby for him next, which is pretty crazy because this was something else I was thinking about too. So Hamza's only 27 years old, right? And it's so funny because you think about a guy like Sean O'Malley, who, who we were just talking about, he is also 27 years old. Right. And he's had twice as many fights in the USC as Hamza. And he's looked equally as impressive. So it just it's just kind of odd to me. And I'm not, you know, trying to make this a O'Malley versus Hamza comparison, who's better pound for pound or whatever. I'm just saying that there's this narrative around O'Malley that, you know, oh, the UFC is making the the smart decision to bring him along slowly. You you gradually work him up fight by fight, and then eventually he's gonna be at a point when it's not going to be rushed because there's been times in the past when they gave guy they, they gave guys a uh, big fights championship fights when they were too young and it you know it caused them to not gain the proper experience they didn't work on their game they took too much damage etc cetera, etc cetera. and everyone supports that but then with Hamza everyone just wants to throw him into the wolves right away and then I'm not saying that's a bad thing I I think if anything I just want to see O'Malley versus good competition because it's like it's like it's like a sparring session for him sometimes. Like he's just having fun out there, just toying with guys. Like he's just he's letting guys get back up so he could better so he could get a better highlight knockout. Like it's it's kind of a joke. I don't understand why they do it like that. So I think the the Hamzat model should be applied to O'Malley. Like it's like the same thing with quarterbacks in the NFL. When a rookie quarterback is drafted, there's always this narrative like, oh, remember Aaron Rodgers? He sat for years before he started. So that's the best way to develop a quarterback. But then every single year, if the the rookie quarterback isn't starting, people throw a fit. Like Trey Lance this year in, in San Francisco, you saw that every single week. They were like, oh, this 49ers team is good. They just need a better quarterback, and they have one. They drafted one. Why would they not play him? So I think people just kind of contradict themselves a lot. It's like a, it's like a very uh, reactive uh, like thinking rather than proactive thinking. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to see. I'm pumped to see Hamza in these big fights, but I just think that should be a lesson to the principles the UFC, the UFC needs to apply all the way around. And him, ver, him, him versus Colby is going to be a really good fight. I could see that going either way. I think Colby's probably on the same level as Burns. Um, you know, Colby can maybe do a little more damage, uh, maybe get, get a couple takedowns as Burns failed to do. Uh, but I mean, as, as great as comes out looked in terms of inflicting damage, like I said, he definitely opens himself up to a lot of damage, but Colby does as well. So, I mean, I can't imagine that fight not being crazy entertaining. And then 
Yeah. And then, you know, whoever wins that obviously is going to get their shot at Usman. Totally. Totally. Well, great. We'll just have to wait and see there. Um, the co-main event, uh, it was a bantamweight title bout between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan. Um, <clears throat> Peter Jan was a very heavy favorite, minus 435. Aljamain was plus 330. Um, I know Dana thought that Peter Jan should have won. He had Peter Jan winning. The judges had Aljamain Sterling winning in a split decision. Um what did you see there? I, I was pulling for Peter Jan. It was definitely, you know, I, I know, I know, we talked a little bit before. It, it was, it was back and forth. I, I'm, I was, I was pulling for Peter Jan because of my betting interest. But, you know, what did you see from that one? Yeah. So, um, so I, I was, I was kind of rooting for Sterling a little bit just because I didn't like the way that. And I mean, I know these guys are trying to sell a fight, and you know, you take everything they say with a grain of salt, but. I didn't like the attitude Jan had. I mean, not only the attitude, but just the fact that he, you know, gave Sterling that that knee to the head, that, you know, the legal, you know, down blow. And, I mean, one, how do you not know that's the rule? And then, two, I mean, he's trying to blame Sterling for, for faking an injury. Like, I mean, you're the champion. Like, it's – even if you're not the champion, you have to know the rules, but especially if you're the champion – and so that's kind of ridiculous for him to act like that. So I was kind of pulling for Sterling, Sterling a little bit. I did think that Jan won probably uh, rounds one, four, and five, as many people are saying. And because people are saying he definitely round one, he definitely won four and five. But then the question is one. But I, I don't know. Like I said, I was rooting for Sterling. I didn't see Sterling do anything in round one at all. I think he was just pacing himself, and he was trying not to. Uh, exert himself too much because that was one of his problems the first time they fought the first time they fought sterling came out heavy in the first round tried to take everything to yan and he actually had some success in the first round but then it all dissipated after that and he just couldn't do anything against him and yan started to pull away so i thought the odds were actually appropriate for a big disparity in that fight um and i do think that yan did a little more damage. I think he probably won three rounds. Maybe you, you could have given Sterling a 10-8 in, and I think it was round two when he was really, uh, you know, landing some good shots on the ground against Jan. But I think that third round, he definitely had him on the ground. He had his back, you know, both those rounds. But yep. the third round specifically, I don't think he did that much damage on the ground. So I wouldn't have given him a 10-8 for that round. So I, I could maybe see an argument for a draw, a win for Sterling. I, I, I did find that tough to believe, as did Dana White. And you can see the expression on his face as he peaked and saw the scorecard. And, you know, many people are saying the same thing as well. Yeah, I'm looking at the total strike numbers. I mean, Peter Jan had 139 to Aljamain's 91. So, yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Jan's boxing is just so good. I mean. I think, but I will say, like, like I said, like, I wouldn't have been mad at a draw scoring wise. So, you know, um, I think that Jan did. I think he was. He wasn't content with. He's just so used to being a, so dominant that there was a couple, uh, you know, scurries on the ground where he gave his back up to Sterling because he was just 
not content at all with taking a, you know, a non-dominant position. Whereas he should have accepted, uh, you know, Sterling having control as long as he didn't give up his back. So I think those were some, you know, very bad mistakes that Jan made that he definitely should learn from regardless of whether he won or not. Right. Right. Well, I mean, what's the, what's the future for these guys? I mean, one was the interim champ, other others now the champion. So is this like a, an immediate rematch you think, or like who's next? So he called out uh, Dillashaw or uh, I'm the Sterling called out Dillashaw when he was uh, after he got the belt and Dillashaw was right there sitting, sitting uh, right next to the octagon. And he was, he, I mean, I mean, anyone who's going to get called out is going to be hyped about it, but he was, he definitely looked hyped about it. He definitely looked like he was ready to, ready to go, ready to get a title shot again, try to get the, try to get a belt back. And so that would be really interesting. So Dillashaw, when he fought Sanhagen, Again, I mean, we could sit here and complain about UFC refs all day long, but um, many people thought Sanhagen won that fight against Dillashaw. He, he looked like he did more damage. Dillashaw did have more control, and then when you factor in the fact that it was his first first fight back and he busted up his knee during the fight, you know, you got to give him respect for that. And then we all know, like, I mean, he was, you know, taking PEDs, but the guy, the guy is a, a very good fighter. So I think... Jan's boxing is very good. He's obviously going to get a shot again. Um, and then Al- Al- Aldo looked very, very good in his last couple of fights. So, you know, we can't count him out yet either. But I think Dillashaw is going to fight Sterling. And I think I might give an edge to Dillashaw, actually. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see Jan and Dillashaw go at it eventually. And then um, that that could really go either way for sure. But that that's a, that's a good division. That division's really really stacked up and you know like i was talking about o'malley before i I would love to see o'malley finally you know get to actually fight these top guys yeah no totally totally well moving on to the main event of the evening we have the featherweight title bout between volkanovsky and the korean zombie this 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 got the performance of the night from from dana i mean dude just just looking at the numbers Oh my God! Talk about disparity. Like Volkanovski had legitimately more than a hundred more total strikes. Um, he had ninety more significant strikes, four takedowns to zero takedowns for the Korean Zombie. I mean, it it really wasn't. He was he, he, the Korean Zombie was getting dominated right from the opening bell. Yeah, that that was another fight going in where the disparity in the line was very appropriate. I mean. Volkanovski is obviously, I mean, he's the champ. He's very good, but I mean, I, I, I don't see Korean zombie as a legitimate title contender. And I think that that, that division is a little light. So that's why he ended up getting an opportunity. Um, also so just, it's a cool name to have on the card too. Well, he's an entertaining fighter. I mean, he's, he's earned that nickname for very good reason. I mean, we saw it during the fight. They had to stop the fight when the guy was still on his feet, just because he takes a crazy beating. Like, that, that those last shots that Volkanovski landed, like 99% of people, they, they're getting knocked out from that. And the, he just stood there and didn't even, you know, fall back, fall to the ground or anything. So, I mean, yeah, that's, it is crazy the damage he could take. And then, but I, I won't let that take away from the fact that Volkanovski, he does look like he just continues to improve. And um, again, I mean, we can just do, do this every time. I thought Holloway beat him 
the first time or the, the only time they fought. Um, but I, I would say that Volkanovsky looks like he's improved. And if they fight again, I, I think I'm going to lean towards Volkanovsky. So, yeah, so that, 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 that weight class is that they, they need, they need a little spark there. And I think maybe it could be Bryce Mitchell eventually. I know, I know that's your guy. So he looked so good in his fight against Barbosa. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's like a Hamza and he ends up getting a, you know, some top fights real soon. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And Dana said, uh, Volkanovsky is like a clear number two best pound for pound right behind Usman. So the guy's a beast. Yeah, that, that is debatable, but you know, <laughs> I mean, he, he looked, he looked really good. He, he, he looked good in my opinion, but. Oh, he looked very good, but I didn't hear Israel Adesanya's name right there. So yeah, that, that's the only thing. Oh. True. True. Well, um, Great UFC card. I'm haven't. I'm not even looking ahead to the next big event. And I, I know there's a fight, uh, a fight night this week. But um, well, there, there's there's not a pay per view until I think it's um, uh, May seventh. I want to say, and that's um, Oliveira versus Gaethje, which is I'm I'm hyped for that fight for sure. I I love watching Gaethje. I think I think he could definitely pull it off. But um, I mean Oliveira, he's kind of like a He's like Aljamain or someone like that. Like if he just gets a hold of your back, like that's you know that's his best shot of winning right there. So he, so, he can never rule that out. So I, I I actually I just looked ahead to it. Um, yeah, that's UFC 274 out in Phoenix. Got Oliveira Gaethje, Rose Namajunas versus uh, Carla Esparza. She's a number two ranked in, in that straw weight division. Then you have Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Um, Donald Cerrone's on the on the card. Um, Oliver or Ovin St. St. Prue. I think that's how you say his name. He's on the card. Um, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, it must be. That'll be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the implications in the lightweight division specifically are big that night. And I, I see, um, that, that title fight is going to be real good. Like I said, I could see that going either way. If anything, I, I think I lean slightly towards Gaethje. Um, then the Chandler Ferguson fight, I'm leaning Chandler all the way. I don't know if they, you know, what the odds are going to be for that, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think Tony might. I think his best days are behind him, and I think that Chandler fights very, very similar to Gaethje. I mean, we we saw them go head to head and look pretty identical. So, and when Gaethje and Ferguson fought, it was, it it got ugly. That was another fight where they the the ref had to stop the fight, even though Ferguson was still on his feet, just because he was taking that bad of a beating. Yeah. All right, um, next topic we got, NBA playoffs. The playing games start tomorrow. The official playoff series don't start until, I believe, Saturday and Sunday. So let's do a little playing game prediction and uh, rundown on what we're expecting there. Um, in terms of – let me pull up the schedule right now. In terms of uh, matchups. So in the 7-8 game in the East, we have Cleveland versus Brooklyn. And then tomorrow we also have the 7-8 game in the West, the Clippers versus Minnesota. So who, who are you seeing out of those games tomorrow as going to be locking their spot in uh, in the playoffs? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to – I mean, obviously you remember, you know, I, I gave you the, the advice to, to throw some money down on Cleveland plus 1,200 to make the playoffs this year. 
So I feel bad, but there's no way I'm going to pick against Kevin Durant in a playing game. And and Kyrie can play in New York, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that changes their whole outlook, you know, completely. Like, um, you know, we still, I mean, it's still up in the air what is what is the case with uh, Ben Simmons exactly, but he would be a great, you know, difference maker to have for them because, you know, obviously defense you would, you would look at as their, you know, where they can improve, you know, their flaw, but regardless, it's just one of those teams where their shooting is so good that I, you know, I mean, the way we've seen them play when, when Katie and Kyrie are together, how, how could you be shocked if, if they make it out of the East, if, if they win the finals, you would not be shocked at all. It's uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. That's all you got to say. Yeah. It's Kevin Durant. Yeah, Kevin Durant almost took out Giannis, Drew, Middleton, that whole, you know, stacked Bucks team last year by himself, basically, because Kyrie wasn't there. Harden was a shell of himself because he got hurt and then he came back and he was, you know, doing nothing. I mean, he's not really doing much now either. But regardless, I mean, I don't know. I honestly might even say that the Nets might even be my favorite to come out of the East, not even just win that playing game. But – there's, you know, the East, the East is not, it's not one of those years where the East is, is not up to par. The East is very good. They're, if they win the, the first playing game, they're going to have to play the, the Celtics. And um, that's winnable. It's, it's winnable, but I was also going to say the Celtics are obviously legit. Um, they've been on fire uh, ever since the All-Star game. And, you know, the Robert Williams injury hurts them defensively. You know, he's legitimately one of the best uh, defenders in the league. Not exactly sure what he's going to come back. So that's a huge difference maker for sure. But um, Grant Williams has actually came in and played some really good games for them. So if he could keep that up, that's going to be a really, really, really good series right there. And like I said, the East is pretty open. So, you know, I could see a lot of possibilities there. Um, and then Minnesota Clippers. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'll lean. I guess I'll lean Minnesota. Um, there were some then, rumblings that Kawhi might come back too. There were, but then I think they, I think they uh, ended up ruling him out. Did did they not? I might have Kawhi Leonard. Well, you keep going. I'll, I'll I'll look it up. Um, no, yeah, I guess he's not. Uh, he's not. He's not. He's ruled out for the game versus the Timberwolves, but not completely for the rest of the season. So, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Paul, Paul George did come back, so that's why I'm not going to give it to the Timberwolves immediately, you know. So, but I mean, I I'd probably give them a little edge, but yeah, I mean, without Kawhi, I don't see either of those teams, you know, you know, going on to beat the Grizzlies or whoever else, you know, the Suns. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, then we can hop to Wednesday. The first game is just, in my opinion, much watch TV. Uh, you got the Charlotte Hornets, led by Lamelo Ball, is just going to be awesome against uh, the Atlanta Hawks. That that's the nine versus ten matchup. It is in Atlanta. Um, then the second game that night is San Antonio versus um, New Orleans in New Orleans. It's like what do you, I think this Charlotte versus Atlanta matchup is just so. I don't I don't I don't even know what to think about it. Because I, yeah. I, I like I, I want I want Lamelo Ball to win, 
But then also you have Atlanta, like Trey Young can't can't rule them out, and and that whole team. So like, you know, what are you seeing from that game, and who I guess would take on Cleveland? So yeah, I I think you're completely right by looking at that as a highlight matchup right there because that is a very tough one to break down. I I have the stats pulled up for both these teams right now, and it's it's actually crazy how similar similar they are across the board. And that's just what you'd expect from the eye test as well. I mean, they have the same record also too. Uh, you know, they're both they're both young teams. They're both led by guards that could just break you down off the dribble, can shoot from Steph Curry range, and then you know they have you know contested floaters against seven foot two big men, you know, from the free throw line, and and you know they they really run everything that's going on there with that offense. And then it's it's not like they just carry the team either because both teams have other complimentary pieces that are very very good obviously the hawks were up two games oh on the uh on the bucks last year who ended up winning the, the championship so you know we can't forget that so i i hated on the the playing game and i still you know it still kind of bothers me but i do enjoy seeing the i mean when you have nine and ten seeds like this or is it uh yeah not nine and ten seeds like yep. that yeah i mean yeah, you, you'd love to see those teams get a shot. And I could really, really, really see this going either way. I'll give a little edge to the Hawks for their experience, but I think that might be really the only deciding factor going on here. And then maybe, you know, just slight edge for Trey over LaMelo at the moment. Yeah, but that's – it's so tough, man. Like, you don't I, – I couldn't advise any pick on that, to be honest. I, rooting interest, I'm probably going to root for Charlotte – because I just love Lamelo and how flashy he is, but that's really probably where my loyalty lies and where my pick is going to lie too. Like, but it, it could go either way. Um, you know, it's crazy. So they're they're uh, you know efficiency, you know effective field goal percentage uh, for and against both offense and defense is both 0.1 percent away from each other. So that's how that's how similar these teams are on offense and defense. It's so even, so even. And then, and then here you go, man. In the West, the nine ten could have been the Lakers, San Antonio Spurs at New Orleans. I mean, I mean yeah. like, like after the first game that's going to be on on Wednesday, like, do you just like turn this game off? Like, is is, is this worth watching? Well, I'm still hoping. I don't know. Maybe one of the teams catches COVID or something like that, and then they call up the Lakers and. <laughs> <laughs> But but since they already fired Frank Vogel, it'll be the Lakers without Frank Vogel, and then maybe uh maybe maybe Russ has already given up. So, <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, yeah. I mean that te- that game. Um, I mean, since they got McCollum, the Pelicans have actually played very well. So, which you know, I mean, they have a couple pieces. I mean, Ingram's obviously very good. Uh, uh, Valencia Yunus is is very good, and then. The pick and roll that he's been around with McCollum is pretty deadly. So the Spurs are solid. You know, it, it's just it's just relative. It's just all relative. Like those teams aren't bad teams. Like if this was 10, 15, 20 years ago, you would look at them as like solid, you know, eight seed teams or whatever. But it's just now like against against like the Suns or something, like it yeah, it it could it could get ugly for one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean that yeah, that's the odds on that series matchup would just be insane. Um, yeah. So I, I think I'll give us, 
I'll give a slight edge to the uh, to the Pelicans. Maybe maybe McCollum's uh, playoff experience. I mean, not that he's you know going out and dominating the playoffs before. Right, right. So then, yep. in terms of so after those matchups, then you would be predicting maybe like Atlanta versus Cleveland for the for the eight spot, and then the Clippers versus New Orleans. What do you think? Atlanta versus like, Cleveland. Like, yeah. Like now, I'm getting worried, man, with with that Cleveland ticket. Like, yeah, I know. Cleveland it's pull not, it out like, versus either versus either of those teams. Oh, I mean, they definitely can. I mean, they have a very identical record, and they were very similar at the majority of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, it is tough. Like, I mean, like I said, the the um, the East just ended up being deeper this year than they typically are. So. They're saying that uh, they're saying that the, the, it looks like the Cavs are pessimistic about Jared Allen's status, and you know he's their anchor defensively. Like without him, there's there's no way they're gonna they're gonna you know there's no way they're gonna beat the Nets. Um, and then even without him against the Hawks or the Hornets, that that definitely hurts. So, I mean, they they definitely could win, but I I think they I think they need Allen. To, to go out there and get a W and I mean like like we said I mean you know they had a crazy good season I mean Sexton was their best player coming into this year I mean obviously I love Garland he's he's their best player now but Sexton was the best player last year he he goes down maybe 10 games in the season is out for the whole year and they still have this season where they're you know a high seed most of the year and then you know Jared Allen goes down to the late towards the end of the year and they end up losing some games. And then now they're stuck with this playoff game or playing game. So, you know, if anything, I'd, I'd blame the NBA, NBA rules. Otherwise you'd, you'd hit that plus 1200 already. I know. Like what the fuck, man? They, they were, they were in like, they were in that four or five spot all fucking year. And I'm like, let's like, I'm already going to the bar, just cashing that ticket. But yeah, well, I mean, you look at the, you look at the East, it's kind of crazy because so out of the teams that are already in the playoffs, so the Bulls have 46 wins. The Bulls were the one seed a lot of the season, right? They're the lowest seed. That's not a playing. That's not a playing game. And then the Raptors have 48 wins, and then the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics are all at 51, and then the, the Heat are at 50, 53. So most of that, the East right there is separated by a couple games. And and then you you look at the West, like the. You know the Heat were eleven games behind the Suns, who were the one seed out there in the West. So yeah, the West is just so top heavy. Where the East is so, I guess you would say it's like more. It's just balanced. It's it, I mean it's it's so good, but I don't even yeah, know. Like, like 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 over the past few years, it was like the East was an absolute fucking joke, and all the good players are in the West. But the tables kind of turned. No, yeah, like, that's exactly. That. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're 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 100 right in that in that breakdown. Yeah, I think um, just thinking about it off the top of my head, I think that um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you can make an argument the the East might be stronger at like the the bottom teams. I mean, especially like the playing teams. But yeah, like you said, it looks like the Suns, they, they you know they've been the best team in the league this season, and then you know the, you have the uh, the Grizzlies. I don't know if I would. You know, their first year in the playoffs, I don't, I don't know if I would look at them as the second best team out there. I think, obviously, if if Steph is healthy, you, you kind of got to give the edge to the Warriors for now. Although, um, that that the whole Wiseman, you know, being out for the year, yeah, 
I, I was banked on him coming back because I don't, I don't think people realized, you know, I mean, the guy was the number two overall pick over LaMelo. So, I mean, the guy's a crazy talent. Like, it, it, that hurts so much. Like, like remember last year, so the Suns were in the playoffs and, you know, people didn't realize how good Aiden was until everyone was watching the Suns in the playoffs. And all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, oh wait a minute, this guy's an amazing center. I think that Wiseman could have had a coming out party if he was guy healthy for the playoffs. And then without him, you know, I mean, if they're starting Looney out there and then, you know, the rest of the team is going to be so good, they can still make stuff happen either way. But Wiseman would have been a big difference maker for them. Well, you, you so. think back to like Harrison Barnes when he like, he was kind of the reason the Cavs like, well, he, he just, he was just the weakest link when the, I mean, this, this is like a while ago, but like Harrison Barnes was the weakest link on that Warriors team. And it, it showed when they played the Cavs in the finals. Like, yeah, am, well, am I making, am I making a good comparison there? In terms of like, you're saying like Looney, like might be just like one weak spot that kind of holds them back a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I will say that, I mean, obviously Harrison Barnes is not Kevon Looney, like, you know, the guy played for Team USA. Um, he, he he was good in the regular season. It was really just, he just had a bad series, that series against against the Cavs. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it, it was it was a bad series for sure. And I do wonder. Was, yeah, like, like one weak link could get exposed. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, Looney is going to, I mean, they're playing the, the Nuggets in round one. So having having a better player to go up against Jokic and I'm not saying Wiseman is 100% better defender than, than Looney, definitely better offensively at the moment. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, going against Jokic, I mean, that's a clear, obviously. I mean, that's Denver's only advantage, really. But, yeah, I, I don't see Denver really having a chance in, in that series, though, still. I mean, but once we found out that Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray were done for the year, that, I mean, that was obviously the Nuggets' chances going out the window. So Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. This is a good transition point. You know, outside of the playing games, we don't have to go through every team, but, you know, what are, what are your thoughts? Let's, let's start with the East. Like, out of, like, the Heat, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, I mean, we, I guess we might go through every team, but, like, what are the big storylines you're looking at and who do you think's coming out of that? Like, what, what, how do you think some of these series are going to play out? Okay, so, um, I'm, I'm a, so the East has some really good defensive teams over there, like the Heat, the Raptors, the the Celtics, and the Bucks are all like top notch defensive teams. So, I like what they bring to the table. So, I think the, um, I think you're going to get. In the in the second round, you're gonna get the the Heat, and I think the Raptors take out the Sixers. And this was a less popular take a few weeks ago, but I mean, you know, you could, I mean, you know from firsthand that I had the same exact take a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, I, I did I when I was on this podcast. You gotta before, say I that did, again, James. You gotta say that again. You have the Raptors taking out the Sixers. I mean, they yeah, it's it's not even an unpopular take right now. It was it was trending on Twitter rap raps and six. Like they, the Raptors just beat the Sixers. They played like two days ago or something. Yep. They've, they've been uh, a better team since the all-star break. I mean, I, I like their team more than I like the Sixers. They only have three less wins than the Sixers do on the season. So it's not the it's four seed versus five seed. You know, it's not, it's only breaking grounds because we're kind of surrounded by Sixers fans all the time. You know, it kind of sounds 
crazier than the take actually is. And I mean, people obviously lost their minds with a Harden trade. And I mean, Harden has not played well at all, you know, the past five, 10 games or whatever. So that's really dampered expectations for the team. But even before that, you know, I just did not view this, this Sixers team as a legit, legitimate contender at all. I mean, when you, when you compare them to these other teams in the league that were to, or in the Eastern Conference over here that we're talking about that are so good defensively, like this, this Sixers team compared to the past Sixers team is the worst by far defensively. You're going to have Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, and Tobias Harris out there guarding three of the five positions most of the time. And, you know, we were finding out that uh, Tybal is not going to be able to play in Toronto. So that obviously hurts. And, you know, a harsh truth that many Sixers fans don't like to hear is that Embiid has struggled defensively in the playoffs for a couple of reasons. It's obviously late in the season. His cardio has never been great. He runs out of steam, especially in the fourth quarters. You see him with his hands on his hips. You saw this last year during the Hawks series, even though he lost all the weight and got in better shape from the year prior. Um, but he was exploited in that in that Atlanta series. If you watch how Atlanta broke them down and dominated the, the last you know few games of that series, it was a lot of it was a lot of pick and rolls. I mean, nonstop, just putting him beat in space, trying to make him cover ground. He's a great on-ball defender. I'm not going to argue that, but I put him in the same category as Rudy Gobert. So I'm not. It's not. You know, I'm not just saying like the guys. You know, uh, a fraud or anything like that. Because you know, Rudy Gobert has won Defensive Player of the Year. You know, trophies before. But when when it when it comes to the playoffs, it's all about versatility. It's all about being able to guard all positions. Because in the regular season, teams aren't just pinpointing one specific matchup and saying, all right, we're just going to run that matchup over and over and over again. We're going to watch film on this. We have a week plus to just watch film on this over and over again and decide what plays we're going to do and isolate that matchup and, you know, game plan for that only. Like, in the regular season, teams are kind of working on whatever they're working on. Whereas in the playoffs, like, last year, the Jazz against the Clippers, uh, Rudy Gobert was exposed because the Clippers just played small ball and Rudy Gobert does not have the agility and the quickness to move his feet and guard on the perimeter. And the way that, you know, the other big men who I say are the best defensive big men in the league do, like Bam Adebayo, for example. That oh, guy, yeah. he if he gets switched on a guard, he he's fine. He's not, it's not, he's not going to lock them up every time. Obviously, it's the NBA. Everyone gets scored on. But he's, he's going to do fine. In that matchup, he's better in the pick and rolls. He's he's going to cover more ground. He's he's he gives crazy effort every play. So, and I love I love the Raptors. I love their uh, they have some underrated pieces. I mean, they're not a star driven team. Obviously, their best player is is Siakam, but I love their three four five three four five of Siakam, Ananobi, and uh, Barnes. You know, they're all just really athletic wings that you know, go out there and play defense and can contribute offensively, obviously. And then, and then the guards, you know, Gary Trent and Fred Van Vliet just let it fly from deep. So I, yeah, I had the Raptors in that series, then heat versus Raptors and that series can definitely go either way. I'll give a, I'll give a little edge to the heat for uh, just Jimmy Butler, just, you know, being smart, especially come playoff time, just making the right plays. And um, I mean, both good coaches, nurse and Spolstra, but you know, Maybe uh, 
maybe, maybe yeah, maybe there's a slight edge to the, to the Heat for the, all the experience they have over there. And then moving down, you know, Bucks, Bucks. I think Bucks take first the Bulls. Um, you know, I'm not going to call a sweep or anything, but I actually think that series is, is a, a guarantee. I think the, I think the Bucks take that one for sure. And then they will play. I I'm, I think I'm going to lean toward towards the Nets, honestly. And and I I do respect the Celtics roster a lot, but and I mean, we already talked about the Nets. You just can't rule out KD. So then. Nets Bucks, you're gonna see a rematch, and you know, like we said, the Nets almost took out the Bucks without Kyrie last year. So with Kyrie now, I think I give a slight edge to the Nets, which means I'm looking at a Nets versus Heat uh, finals. And well, but I'm wondering too if the Nets are the highest or the lowest ranked team remaining. Wouldn't they play the Heat if they're if they're still left? You know what I mean? Like that could be the Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. Wait, the oh 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 after the uh, second round, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um. Okay, seven seed. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because I, it's just hard for me to even grasp the you know Kevin Durant team being a seven seed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're I mean, right. I mean, yeah. that'd be a that'd be a wild Eastern Conference semifinal series. To play, oh who, my god! To, to play like the winner of the Bucks versus the Raptors. Yeah, that'd be yeah. wild. Oh yeah, and then that Bucks Raptors series that that would be that would be a barn burner for sure. I mean, we know the uh, you know the Raptors got all the credit for being the ones to you know invent the the Giannis stopping method. So I mean, we'll see if they could catch a little bit of that magic again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at that point we might have to have you back on the pod to break down. You know the semifinal and the finals of 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 each side, but well, I, well who, I, who who do you like out in the East? Um, like you said, it's hard to rule out the Nets, especially with Kyrie and Kyrie's back now. I know I said this a few podcast episodes ago. Like, if Kyrie can play in like I don't know ten more home games, they could have won five more of those games and now they're the fifth seed or if he can play all year they might be they might have 50 wins and then they're even a better team so well yeah i mean yeah people forget they were were the one seed before kd got hurt and that was without Kyrie. yeah it's kind of it's kind of wild um i don't know i don't know i really think it's probably going to come from that more middle of the pack type area than if it's going to be but it's so hard to rule out the bucks I would oh, probably yeah. lean Bucks, like if I'm going to be honest. The, the the Bucks are my second, my second team in the East. I would say, yeah, yeah. behind the yeah. Nets. Just <laughs> just a hair, just a hair behind the Nets. I'm talking like the Nets might be like minus like one ten or minus one twenty or something like. Yeah, you know, even the Sixers though, dude. Like, not even from the podcast. I, I know, I know your opinion on the Sixers, but like James Harden. Like it's really hard to rule that guy out. The only one of the only basketball games I've been to, James Harden scored fifty in the Wells Fargo Center. Like I, I'd, I'd love to see him get cooking, but you have all the rebounding trouble. With we talked about this on on a few podcasts ago too, Eric and I. Outside of Embiid, no one can fucking rebound. Let alone I don't even know if they want to rebound. And then you just have people. Are people just going to stand around and watch James Harden just dribble the ball around? Like what's that dynamic going to be? I. I I'd probably, I think, for storyline purposes, it might be cool if the Sixers win, but 
I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I might come back to bite those words, but I'd probably say Bucks and Nets, but, you know, the, the Heat have 53 wins. It's so tough at the top there, man, but I would lean Bucks. You're leaning Nets, so. Yeah, and, I mean, like I said, like, I mean, I'm picking, like, a seven-game series that, come, that comes down to actually Kevin Durant making the shot this time. That's We're, we're splitting hairs on that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But um, cool. That's a, that was a great breakdown on the East. Um, the West. <laughs> I don't want to bury the lead or, or get too ahead of ourselves, but like, it's the Suns versus the field at this point. Yes, like, and and yeah, like I was saying, like, uh, I actually, I actually was was you know leaning a little bit towards the Warriors, yeah, ant- anticipating Wiseman's return. But then also that was before, you know, Curry went down too. So, I, you know, it would have been nice for them to get, you know, one healthy and then two chemistry going to the playoffs. The Suns are 100% playing the best. They've been playing the best basketball season long, and they, they deserve to be the favorites. Um, and I, I, I think the Warriors are probably, barring an injury, the only team that I could see actually legitimately being the Suns. I, I think the Grizzlies are a nice storyline for the season, but – I would be shocked if the Grizzlies take out, you know, a healthy Warriors or a Phoenix Suns team. I, I mean, they've got they've got good young pieces, but yeah, I, 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 I'd be shocked. I do not think they have enough yet. Points per game wise, I'm looking at the the breakdown here. Like points per game, I mean, it's like the Grizzlies had 115.6 points per game. Suns had 114.8. So like they're, they're right there. I mean, offensively. And then defensively, I mean, we're talking about an 82-game season here, too. Uh, Grizzlies gave up a few more points per game um, defensively, but it's hard to root against a team that went, like, 64-18. and 18. But also, how many teams – this would be another great statistical case study. How many teams that have those crazy years in the regular season don't make it to the finals? I don't know, well, if, yeah. I don't know if it's that many, but – like we're also talking about a seven game series, so it's not like it's not like, you know, a thirty two and zero Kentucky team loses in the Elite Eight, you know. The, the the cream will rise to the top, especially through seven games. Right, exactly. But yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with the first point you made that like, I mean but we just don't know if, if the uh the cream is necessarily a team that just, you know, is the higher ranked seed. I mean, because I mean you could think for years, every single year, um, you know you would see teams like the Raptors with DeRozan and Lowry be like the one seed in the East or something like that. And everyone would say, Oh, I mean, they would just point to their regular season success and they would always take them to make it to the finals. They would take them to beat the Cavs. But at the end of the day, you know, you see this all the time. I mean, it's the veteran players who won, um, you know, they're, they kind of, you know, they, they get injured more. They take more rest days. They might not take the regular season as serious. Whereas a team like the Grizzlies, they're young, they're healthy, they're going out there energetic every single night. You know, this is like being the two seed is like a somewhat of a moral victory for them. Like that's already a big deal on its own. And you know, obviously, I respect them. They're they're a very good team, but I I see them as like you know a team like that, like the Raptors or something, like with DeRozan and Lowry, like a good team. But you know, in the NBA, like you're going to be going against the superstars of the league. And I think Morant's great, but he's, he's going to be a little bit outmatched against 
someone like Steph or someone else. Exactly. And in the Western Conference, too, like, you got to think about Chris Paul just being a hungry dog. Like, he was in the finals last year, definitely trying to get back, especially for his career. Like, he doesn't want to be a Charles Barkley who doesn't end with a, a championship. You know, he, no, he, yeah. he needs that ring to solidify himself as, I mean, he's already probably like a, definitely a top five point guard or top 10 point guard, whatever you want to debate, but getting that ring would just solidify everything for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're a hundred percent right with that. I mean, last year, the guy almost just willed himself to playing well, even though his shoulder wouldn't work. There were times he would try to dribble the ball and then his arm would just stop moving and then he would lose the ball. It was almost it was almost detrimental. To, I mean, it was detrimental to the team on some plays, but and then and then next thing you know, he would just catch fire out of nowhere and start hitting some mid range shots again, like usual. Like, yeah, the guy's a mastermind. Um, the, yeah. So the the one reason why I was kind of leaning slightly towards Warriors, I mean, one of the main reasons, um, with you know anticipating if they had a healthy team, was when you look at the the matchup, like like the wing players, Wiggins and Draymond versus Bridges and Crowder. I love, I love uh, Bridges, but that's pretty even right there. And then you just compare the backcourt, Steph and Clay versus uh, Book and CP3. And, you know, you could say, like, some people might want to make an argument for the Suns, but then you got to remember, it's going to be a lot of, of trading threes from the Warriors with trading mid-ranges from the suns and even if they're hitting them at a pretty high rate it just ha- it's gonna have to be such a substantial difference with the mid-ranges over the threes for them to come out to, to, for them to come out the win and we've seen tons of great players who you know rely on the mid-range like when, when it comes playoff time they remember like oh yeah now we remember well why the three is is as valued as it is and i mean obviously they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league but I mean, just compared to the Warriors' backcourt is just all that I was saying. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. But God damn it, I, I just hate the fact that I have to sweat out the Cavs in in two playing games. Like, I'm 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 not really a hedging guy because hedging is for gardeners. But <sighs> whatever, dude. I'm just gonna ride out a plus twelve hundred. Um, win, win, win one of two games, bet whatever. Nah. Nah, you should be a gardener. <laughs> I should hedge it out. Hey, I, I did cut the grass for the first time this year, this weekend. So, hey, bro, you you pl- you planted those seeds in the beginning of the season. Yes, sir. That's, that, sounds like, that sounds like gardening to me. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> I'm all about it. I'm all about it. But no, it's a great breakdown in the West. So you're you're leaning for your finals matchup, most likely Suns Nets. I, I predicted probably a few weeks ago on the pod. Like, are we just going to see a, a rematch of last year? I think it's definitely possible. So I would probably lean Suns Bucks, um, but really, like the East is so wide open. Like we talked about, I mean, the Nets are nine games behind the Heat, but that number is probably inflated. And then you have the Suns are just head and shoulders above everyone else in the West. So I think the Suns are definitely a safe bet. You could you could put a healthy amount on on the Suns to come out of the West. But so so who do you think would win that matchup this year? Suns versus the Bucks. Ah, I, I see like some like what, the way I bet sometimes too. It's real emotional. I'm, I mean, I'm a Pisces. We're we're an emotional bunch. I, 
Sheesh. I, I like I'd probably go the Phoenix Suns just because of the hungry dog for Chris Paul. I want to see him win it. I, I more want to see the Suns win it this year. But even if it's like, I, yeah, I, I think I would go Suns as, as my NBA champion. Yeah, I'm I'm so on the fence with this one. Um, I I think so. It, if you know, if I had to put money down on a team right now, I think the Suns might be just like maybe the smartest pick, just because you know their chemistry is so good. They, they're they've been you know, I mean, barring the the Chris Paul injury late, they were pretty healthy you know across the board the majority of the season. Um, you know, for stuff like that. But if you gave me a, a, a healthy net squad against the Suns, um, I don't know. I I think I might, like I said, extremely close. But you know, another seven another seven game series, I might just have to give the edge to KD. So it sounds crazy to say a seven seed, but I mean, you know, can't can't allow KD. So let me look at so odds to win the Eastern Conference. Got the Nets at plus two hundred on my book. Bucks plus plus one ninety five. So they're right there. They're right. Yeah, there. exactly. So it sounds crazy to say a seven seed, but when you look at it like that, like yeah. Um, and the the Heat the Heat were the favorite, but I think after the whole meltdown on the court thing, I think that actually bumped them down. If I'm correct, right? Dude, they they're at so it's Bucks best odds, then the Nets, then you have the Celtics. Are the third best odds, then the Sixers, then the Heat. They're like the fifth best odds. All right. Well, that that has to be that's kind of outlandish. Yeah. Somewhat of an anomaly. I bet if you looked at a few books, you would find the Heat. Yeah, that's probably an odds boost or something. Because I, I I saw the Heat were the best odds like a week ago, maybe. So I don't. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't think the meltdown is worth that much. No, plus three seventy five. That's crazy, man. I don't. Th- I wouldn't put money on it, but that's that's crazy. Um, then you have Suns are minus one twenty to win the West, and then you have the Warriors at plus two twenty five, and then it's the Grizzlies at plus five hundred. So then the yeah, rest I, I, is pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think there's any value out there with the with the Western Conference picks. Like okay. I just like the. I see the Jazz beating the, the Mavericks. I see, like I said, the Warriors beating the the, the Nuggets. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think those teams. I think it's Suns, Warriors, and then that's really probably it. Yeah, if you want to talk about odds to win the NBA championship, though, we have. I mean, Suns at plus two twenty five. It's it's not phenomenal odds, but you're getting plus money on it. I mean, plus two twenty five for the start of playoffs is not is not amazing. No, not at all. But that just tells you how how Vegas values them. Um, and yeah, I mean, they are that good. Yeah. If you want, if, and then you look at the Nets plus four hundred, Warriors plus five hundred, Bucks are plus three eighty five. So it's definitely Bucks. So it goes Suns, Bucks, then um, then the Nets, and then the Warriors. So it's crazy. Yeah crazy yeah but um awesome dude this that, that was a great wrap up on uh on uh you know looking forward to the nba playoffs um it'll be great we'll have to have you on maybe for some some finals preview and stuff like that but i'm um, looking at this day in sports as we wrap up the pod today in 1954 
We're throwing it way back, guys. 1954, the eighth NBA championship between the Minneapolis Lakers. The La- <laughs> That's so crazy. The Lakers beat the Syracuse Nationals four games to three. I know you have. I know you have a little breakdown on on that series, James. Oh, I mean, we we just looked at it briefly beforehand, and I thought it was funny that I think so. One of the games ended sixty-two to sixty, and then another game ended sixty-five to sixty-three, or you know something like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but it's one of those things when you look at throughout the course of history in in basketball, there's all these ebbs and flows. So. People always try to look at it like, oh, um, the offense now is ridiculous. Like, it's all inflated, you know, whatever. But it, it's really – it's not like it's like – it wasn't just low and then now it's high. It, there's been so many different fluctuations for different reasons, different rule changes, different developments of the game, th- different styles throughout the years where it, it's like waves. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And this must have been on one of those down waves, but – um, it, it was interesting. I looked at um, they also the rosters. Have, they also didn't have the three-point line. so Yeah. So, uh, I mean, so this season, so it was 53-54. So George Meekin was on the Lakers. And, I mean, when he was younger, he had led the league in scoring three times at 28 points, 27 points at 28 points, and then led the league in rebounding two years after that. And then this season, his numbers started to dip a little bit. I mean, still averaged 18 and 14. But it's kind of crazy when you look at it. He averaged 38% field goal percentage with no threes. And he was a dominant center. Like, (laughs) that's just ridiculous to think about. You think about a dominant center who's leading the league in scoring a few years, and he's shooting 38% from the floor. Like, you have guys like Gobert who shoot over 70% from the floor these days. Like, So, I mean, I think it's just a little – reminder that i mean if you've ever seen those videos of 1950s nba basketball like i'm putting up at least a double double at least oh oh, dude i mean i roasted myself last pot i scored nine points in high school i would have fuck man i would have had definitely more than nine points in a game back in the nba but it's (laughs) it's crazy dude it's crazy nine points where there's uh technical fouls or something now, a junior year, the one basket I made was a three in the county playoff game. It was like garbage time. We put in the bomb squad. That's what we called all the people that were on the bench. Hit it, hit a you, dagger three. We were down by like probably twenty five points. Do you bank it? Nah, the swish, man. Right from the corner, I was backing okay. up like I was backing up like Ray Allen in Game oh. Six NBA Finals. Yeah, oh, dude, it was splash city, and that <laughs> that was fun. And then like my other baskets were like probably like. Well, they were definitely those foul shots because I would get like because <laughs> we'd be playing against the other kids on other teams that are like three hundred pound guys that are like freshmen that have like the, just have no business being out there just like us. But those were the days, man. Those were so the you. Days. So so some might say you are a, a free throw merchant. Oh, for sure, but I, I wouldn't. I, I people were just fouling me. I wasn't like looking for free throws. I, I was terrified to be on the line, dude. Every. All, all like 50 fans they're watching us i'm like oh my god i'm sweating hey bro that's what the, that's what the fans say you know if you're getting fouled that just means they can't guard you oh i mean yeah they definitely couldn't guard me <laughs> <laughs> schwapping threes like i did man get out of here <laughs> yeah dude if yeah if you were playing in the 50s they would have called the police oh dude i mean 
I mean, they were playing against plumbers. I, I at least practiced. Like, <laughs> come on, you know. But that was awesome, man. Thank you for filling in for Eric today, James. This was a this was a great pod. Good NBA yeah, that, breakdown. Yeah. Covered covered some good topics. I know you're you're big into UFC, so that was fun, man. Yeah, I love being on, even though the Lakers are out of the playoffs. You know, uh, I think I'm I think I'm over it. So you know, is what it is. Yeah, you, I'll, you, I'll, I'll I'll pick I'll pick a team to root for. I don't know, maybe the, maybe the maybe the Bucks. I like Giannis or the Jazz. I like Donovan Mitchell. So I'll be rooting vicariously through them. You you don't want to root for the Nets? You picked them. Hell no. <laughs> Look, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not picking teams out here out of bias. I'm a as a LeBron fan. I'm not out here rooting for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So you know, not saying that. You know, I'm passionately rooting against them, but I just have to respect talent, you know. Facts. Facts. Well, all right. All right, brother. Thank you once again, everyone that's listening. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll be back on Friday, breaking down some of the playing games. Looking forward to the weekend in the playoff series. Um, and we'll get after it. Right. Thanks for having me. Sir. Sure.